Let us ask the Lord's blessing upon the reading and hearing of His holy word. Our gracious Father, we give you thanks for your wonderful love given to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in His name now that you through him would send forth your Holy Spirit upon us afresh to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive and minds to believe and souls to obey your word. For the glory of your name, amen. The reading of scripture comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 4 beginning at verse 4. This is the word of God. It is written. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, the title of this sermon is somewhat presumptuous, The Mystery of Prayer, as though I could unveil the mystery of prayer in one sermon. I cannot, and I couldn't, in a million sermons. True prayer with the living God is not something to be understood or explained by finite mortal minds. But true prayer with the living God is something to be experienced by humble hearts. True prayer with the living God is not something to be understood or explained by finite mortal minds, but true prayer is something to be experienced by humble hearts. We can't get our heads around the mystery of prayer, but by God's grace, we can submit our hearts in it. We can't get our heads around the mystery of prayer, but by God's grace, we can submit our hearts in it. Whenever we approach the subject of prayer, we must do so not as philosophers, but rather as dependent children of the Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Whenever we approach the subject of prayer, we must do so not as philosophers, but as dependent children of the Heavenly Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Concerning prayer, Philippians 4, 6, 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, today's sermon is really a word of encouragement, encouragement to pray. My plan, if the Lord wills, my plan is next Sunday to have a sermon with more practical instruction and application about our actual practice of prayer. But today's sermon is primarily a word of encouragement, and it it comes out of my own personal reflection and my own personal processing about my own personal practice of prayer in the context of the pandemic. And I confess to you that the pandemic has served as a kind of wake-up call or as a kind of spur to me in my own practice of prayer or lack thereof. So as I reflect on my own experience over the last six weeks, prayer in the context of the pandemic, may I encourage you likewise to to consider how our cultural moment has affected your own personal practice of prayer as well as that of our corporate life as a congregation together. And for example, For the past six weeks, we have had a church member who was nigh unto death with the coronavirus. Uh, Absolutely isolated in the hospital ICU. Completely separated from his wife who herself was quarantined all alone in her own home for five weeks. You know the situation. And you have rallied in prayer for them over the last six weeks, and you're to be highly commended. Your your commitment of unceasing prayer has been an expression of your love for them and your faith in God. And thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. All glory, honor, power, and praise be unto God. For his mercies poured out and his sustaining power. So the word of encouragement is let's keep on praying for Jimmy's full recovery and his blessed reunion with Claudia in their own home. But but here's my point. Here's really the point of application for us. Let this one example, and it is only one example, it is only one example, but let this, let this be an example to us of how shared prayer unites us spiritually. That's what I want you to lay hold of. Shared prayer unites us spiritually even when we're separated from one another. So let this be an ongoing encouragement 
to us all that we all would be eager to pray for one another without ceasing. Let's keep on loving one another by keeping on praying for one another. And then further, in our, in our cultural moment, perhaps over the last six weeks, you have sensed as I have, perhaps, a greater urgency to pray for those in authority and in positions of leadership over us, President Trump, Vice President Pence, the members of the Federal Task Force, the researchers at the CDC, our legislators, all those in the, the medical professions on the front line, and including the, the many medical profession, professionals of our own congregation on the front line, and others who are near and dear to us, perhaps also... Perhaps in this moment you have sensed a greater urgency to pray for the health and strength of our constitutional republic in its uncertain future. Whenever we return to a so-called state of normalcy, whenever and whatever that may be, but you see, I, I hope that as, as Christians, I hope that we all have been moved to pray not only for the physical and economic and political health of our nation, but also the spiritual health of our nation. So you see, the pandemic has, in a way, spurred me to pray for another real and true great awakening across this land. As you know, Governor John Bell Edwards has called people of faith to pray and fast on Tuesdays at noon. We can all appreciate that, and, and many of you I know are engaged in that. And, and so there again, we are, as a body, spiritually united in prayer. But the thing for us to remember in that is that whenever there is a call for uh, civil society, whenever there is a call for the nation or the state, the first prayer must be a confession of our national sins and a crying out to the king of all nations that he would have mercy and send forth a mighty movement of the Holy Spirit to bring heart-cutting repentance upon a hard-hearted people. Our national sins are abominable. And you don't need me to go through the catalog of that list. And we ourselves share in those As, as members and citizens of this nation, we stand before the Holy One as Isaiah stood before the Holy One and cry out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. But here is the thing. As we are called together in prayer for our nation and the state, here is the point for us in terms of our spiritual unity in prayer 
It is our calling as the church of Jesus Christ, get this, as his kingdom of priests upon the earth, it is our calling to pray on behalf of the unbelieving world. It is our calling, if, if I might put it this way, it is in our job description as the church of Jesus Christ, as His kingdom of priests on the earth, to pray on behalf of this rebellious nation in which God has placed us. It is our calling as the church of Jesus Christ to pray the Lord's mercies upon this nation and to cry out for His Spirit to bring true repentance and revival from sea to shining sea. Perhaps, I hope, we all have had a greater sense of urgency about this kind of prayer over the last six weeks and what a great prayer it is to unite us spiritually. And now let's take it a step further. As we consider the future of this nation, especially her spiritual condition, perhaps that spurs us to consider the future of other nations who are affected by the pandemic, particularly in terms of spiritual awakening, conversions to Jesus Christ, the upbuilding of His worldwide church in every nation. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come. We are praying that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed all over the world, that more and more people will be called out of darkness, set free from the dominion of the devil and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, not only in America, but also in nations such as China, Iraq, Iran, North Korea. The nations on the continent of Africa, South America, Asia, every nation. Because Jesus Christ shed His blood for people of all nations. So that His kingdom might be increased through His church in every nation. With more and more people being redeemed into His kingdom by faith in Him through the proclamation of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now is the time to pray for a worldwide explosion of saving faith in Jesus Christ. Let's continue to do that without ceasing. What if we prayed like this all the time? That's really the word of encouragement. If the pandemic has spurred us, then let's go on. What if we pray like this as a spiritually united congregation without ceasing? What if we prayed for all of these concerns and the greater concerns of a spiritual nature, the spiritual growth and maturity of Covenant Presbyterian Church, the spiritual health 
and nurture of our children. That our children would not only profess faith in Jesus Christ, but truly live for Him all the days of their life. The spiritual health of marriages. We pray for sick bodies. Let us pray without ceasing for sick marriages. For the effectiveness of our own local mission and our witness for Christ in the community. (laughs) Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. How do we abide in Him? But by His word of truth and His Spirit indwelling us. The list goes on and on for us personally as individuals as well as corporately as a congregation. What if we, what if we really prayed without ceasing as though our life and the life of the world depended upon it? In his book entitled Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God, Timothy Keller begins with an illustration out of his own personal experience when he and his wife, Kathy, were facing a lot of stress following 9-11 in New York City where they lived when after 9-11 the city sort of fell into a societal uh, depression. And then Tim and Kathy themselves were dealing with their own health issues And his wife, Kathy, said to him, and this is in the book entitled Prayer, imagine you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No. It would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. And in making her point to her husband, Tim, Kathy then went on to say to him, well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't let it just slip our minds. That was the moment when Tim and Kathy Keller started praying together every night. But their illustration is a good one for us, each one of us individually, and for us as a corporate body. Would you skip your medicine for a terminal disease? Would you? That's just a rhetorical question. For an illustration. But the other way to ask the question is, do you pray as though your life depended upon it? And I don't mean merely your physical life. I mean your life. I mean your fullness of 
life. I mean the life of the kingdom of God within you, the life of love and joy and peace and righteousness, your life, the meaning and purpose of your life, the legacy of your life. Do you pray as though your life depended upon it? Can you truly live without personal communion with the living God who is himself life? No, you can't. So here's a word of encouragement. I want you to I want you to I want you to think about this. I want you to meditate on. I want you to use your holy imagination. What if what if we Covenant Presbyterian Church as a congregation had such a real and ongoing experience of prayer without ceasing, such that earnest prayer became as much a part of our congregational identity, as much a part, an identifying mark of who we are as is Vibrant congregational singing when we are together and our warm and loving fellowship when we are together. What if, what if, what if unceasing prayer were just as much a mark of our life as a congregation? Now, please don't misunderstand. Please do not misunderstand. I am not suggesting that you are not a praying people. I'm not suggesting that you are not a praying congregation. This This is an encouragement. Because I know, I know, long before the pandemic struck and without any connection to it, when we had our first quarter evening prayer service, We had about a hundred people on that Sunday night. And in America, and that's about 50% of our Sunday morning congregation. And in America these days, relatively speaking, relatively speaking, in America these days, in any church, that's a very strong number to be gathered for an evening prayer service. And you are to be highly commended. And Jonathan and I were very, very excited about it and very thankful for it. So please don't misunderstand. This is simply simply a word of encouragement. Let's keep it going deeper, higher, broader, wider, onward, upward. Let's continue to become 
a praying congregation and a congregation of prayers. And along these lines, Philippians 4, 6 through 7 should be a great encouragement to us individually and corporately. In this brief verse, In these brief verses, God himself warmly invites us and lovingly commands us to pray. And we know, dear brothers and sisters, we know that our Father in heaven welcomes our our prayers because prayer is one of the great privileges purchased for us by Christ's work of salvation. Prayer is one of the great privileges purchased for us by Jesus' work of salvation. Our prayers, our ability to pray is blood-bought. We should never forget that the, the, the foundation, the basis of Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and every other passage about prayer, the basis of it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prayer is possible. Real prayer with the real, true, living God is possible because and only because the Father has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our sins and to restore us into a relationship of love. Real, meaningful prayer with the living, true God is possible and only possible because Jesus, our great high priest, by His blood shed on the cross, has made a new and living way into the most holy place so that we, through faith in Christ, in union with Christ, may with confidence draw near to the throne of grace and find grace and receive mercy to help in our time of need. Listen, your ability to pray, your right to pray, Your access to God in prayer does not depend upon you in and of yourself. It depends upon what Jesus Christ has done for you and your union with Jesus Christ by faith in Him. Let this be a word of great encouragement to you. Jesus, our great forerunner, the author and perfecter of our faith, He's gone ahead of us. He is there for us. After having made purification for sins, He is now seated at the right hand of the majesty for you and for me, and He intercedes for us. Think of it this way. We are saved by, you can say this with me, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, 
in Christ alone, right? A lot of you know that doctrinal formula. Saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, (laughs) that's how we pray, too. That's the only way we can pray. We pray by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And I would add, if we pray rightly, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. But the point here, for your encouragement, is that prayer is a gift of God's grace that He has given to us through the saving work of Christ, whose blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness so that we might have fellowship, communion with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit. This should give us great encouragement to pray. In Philippians 4, 6, the Apostle Paul is simply echoing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when he writes, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, you see, this is an open invitation. This is an open invitation, and it's a very warm and loving command to pray in any and all circumstances. And more than an invitation, it it is instruction. It's teaching us how to deal with all of the concerns that we have in this fallen world. 1 Peter 5, 7 likewise says, cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Listen to that. The infinite, eternal, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, uncreated creator cares for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? So let your requests be made known to God. Offer up the desires of your heart to Him with faith and humility and complete dependence as His child. That's his invitation, that's his instruction, that's his his warm and loving command. Let your request be made known to him. And when you entrust yourself to God in prayer, when you give yourself over to God in prayer, you see, brothers and sisters, when... When prayer becomes more a matter of 
giving yourself to God rather than getting something from God. When prayer becomes more a matter of giving yourself, turning yourself over to God, entrusting yourself and all your concerns to God, rather than getting something from God, then, then, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that these verses on prayer say absolutely nothing about getting our prayers answered the way we want them answered. It invites us, warmly commands us, to let our requests be made known to God. That's a warm and gracious invitation of love. But it gives us no right to tell God what to do. It gives us no right to name and claim anything. But it does promise us something better. That despite whatever our situation and circumstances, when we entrust ourselves to God in prayer, we will come to know that He is with us. And He will make His presence known to us with his peace which surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And this peace of God which surpasses all understanding is, is something far, 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 far more and really quite different from simply what, uh, shall we say, a psychologist would call peace of mind. No, the, the peace of God is the peace of God, the shalom of the eternal, infinite, uncreated creator, the God of all grace, the God of all glory, the God of all truth and righteousness, goodness and beauty and love, His Peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding is the all-enveloping, all-encompassing presence of God Himself, His kingdom enfolding us so that we know we are secure in Him. And we know that there is nothing in all creation which can separate us from his love. Not even death itself. Because Jesus Christ has already conquered death for us. 
And the one who gave his son for us is the one who works all things together for good for us for all eternity. This is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer is not something to be understood and explained by finite mortal minds. But it is something to be experienced by humble hearts. We can't get our heads around the mystery of prayer. But by God's grace, we can submit our hearts in it. Therefore, dear covenanters, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To God be the glory. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wonders of your love. Teach us, Lord, what it means to come before you as little children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, let us stand now to affirm our faith as we uh, read responsively and affirm the Heidelberg Catechism number one. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit his purpose my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for him.